Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Monday, February 13th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by Times of Israel founding editor David Horowitz and religion and diaspora affairs reporter Judah Ari Gross. Hello to you both. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hi. We will speak today about the tens of thousands of Israeli protesters expected to rally today in Jerusalem outside the Knesset against the judicial overhaul plan and whether the coalition is willing to delay today's vote. We'll also talk to Judah back from southern Turkey, the region that was hit hard by last week's earthquake. Before we jump into all of that, let's take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K, lawfirm.com, or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement, and past results are no guarantee of future performance. David, Israelis are crowding on trains right now to join the nationwide civil worker strike in front of the Knesset as the planned committee vote begins on the judicial overhaul. Meanwhile, President Isaac Herzog spoke last night warning of looming societal collapse and laid out a compromise. He set out five, and I'm quoting you, largely reasonable and common sense proposals for judicial change. Are they enough for Prime Minister Netanyahu to consider? Where do you think we are heading in the next few hours? Yeah, I think um, this is a, a quite a dramatic day in, in Israeli political history. The demonstration, I mean, we're speaking to it just after 11 Israel time, people will be listening in the next few hours, seems that this will be a very substantial show of protest. Uh, as you say, trains packed, people flooding into Jerusalem from all over the country, um, all sorts of other things going on nationwide, but an effort to to highlight by people who who are opposed to the specifics of the of the overhaul and also the the way it's being blitzed towards legislation so as we speak to you now the very first piece of this legislation um, has been approved at the committee stage uh, in other words it hasn't become law it hasn't even gone to the main knesset for the first of the three readings that it that is required but the committee chairman simcha rotman has uh, held a vote in an incredibly stormy session of his committee with people being thrown out and a Knesset member in tears and uh, radically atypical scenes. One of the key issues here, the, the coalition has a, has a majority and can basically do what it wants in the legislature. So in this committee, uh, the, the majority is automatic and the process therefore has begun. Now, again, we'll, you know, by the end of the day, we'll know a lot more. Uh, Simcha Rotman, who had previously or hitherto uh, been disinclined to delay any of this in any way, and the justice minister, 
his partner in piloting this legislation through, Yariv Levine, had also uh, ruled out slowing things for even a minute, uh, to quote uh, Levin last week in, a, in response to an earlier, less specific plea from, from President Herzog. Rothman today is indicating that he's not going to try and barrel these initial pieces of legislation into the plenum today, as was the original plan for the first of their three readings. So just maybe there's a readiness to at least give some room for more substantial debate. But the key person here, indeed, as your question uh, alludes to, is Netanyahu. Now, Herzog did not deliver his plea to Netanyahu. He didn't mention Netanyahu, in part because of the staggeringly extraordinary particular circumstance that we have here, where we have a prime minister who, as as a condition for him to be able to continue in office because of some lacuna in existing Israeli legislation, uh, a prime minister can serve when under-indicted, when on trial, but uh, there's a conflict of interest arrangement that he agreed to three years ago. He's not allowed to have anything to do obviously, with any legislation or decision-making that might affect his trial. And boy, does this package of reform, quote-unquote, have a great potential significance for his trial. If there's a a different role for the Attorney General, if the courts are unable, if the High Court is unable to strike down uh, legislation it regards as undemocratic, if, as members of the coalition have said they want to, they want to abolish some of the charges from the criminal code that he is on trial for, etc., etc. So Herzog did not say, please, Prime Minister Netanyahu, rethink. He said, please, Mr. Levine, Mr. Rotman, and the opposition, get it together, engage in dialogue, because this is destructive, this process. Again, not, not only the specifics, but the way it is being blitzed through. Um, so he wasn't addressed directly, but of course, it's Netanyahu who holds uh, the cards. And the key to this, is he prepared to, uh, to roll this back? Um, uh, what was interesting, uh, again, is uh, Herzog set out um, then nuanced proposals. I'm not saying that, that everybody on every side would, would agree with every element of them. Of his five, two of them had nothing to do with the actual specifics of this reform legislation. They go to the efficiency and workload of the courts, the lack of judges. These are things that need reforming. They're not covered by the Levine-Rothman proposals. Right. So, David, I was wondering about that. So, he puts forth these five, and obviously, this has been a a uh, carefully considered proposal. Why do you think he packaged it like that in that sense, given your comments about it? Because there, <laughs> what he did was what a sensible starting point for genuine uh, efforts at reform would do. They would look at, well, where are their problems? Where are there things we need to address? So he did address the fact that there are far too few judges. He said there's, you know, the OECD average, he said, is three times as many judges per capita as we have in Israel. Uh, he spoke about the tens of thousands of criminal, of, of judicial cases that are opened each year. The courts can't cope. That was a sensible and necessary area that needs help, needs budget and so on. So he didn't just address the specifics of what is being put forward. He addressed the issues that the judicial system has. And then on the specifics that do relate, uh, there was nuance there. There was uh, uh, an effort to genuinely adjust without destroying the balance between the um, political majority, in other words, the executive and the legislature on the one hand, and the judiciary on the other hand, to, to, to find uh, a balance where each holds sway where it needs to. Uh, the, the, the particular leg- legislation that began its process today on the, on the selection of judges, the coalition proposal gives the, the majority of the day an absolute majority 
see on the on the on the panel that chooses judges. That is not the case today, where both politicians and judges can each veto each other's choices. Um, so Herzog, you know, suggested a, a rebalanced or a slightly adjusted version, I would say, of what exists today, rather than the demolition of the of the balance in the committee that the coalition uh, overhaul proposes. These were, you know, eminently sensible, uh, constructive proposals, and and it's. It's a, it's a measure of how ridiculous the situation is that those are not the kinds of proposals that the, the ostensibly well-intentioned coalition has been putting forward. Just to remark on the expected thousands, who are go- tens of thousands possibly, who will gather in front of the Knesset, one would imagine that has to have an impact on the people sitting inside the building. One would imagine, but, but by the same token, one would imagine that no government seriously interested, as it claims, in strengthening Israeli democracy would be pushing these specific kinds of quote-unquote reform proposals. There, it, it is, I mean, you're asking me, so I get to say this, yeah. right? There is no way that a, that a common sense, reasonable assessment of the legislation as it is currently drafted strengthens Israeli democracy. It doesn't. It gives almost complete power to the political majority of the day and removes the court's capacity to protect against um, majority coalition abuse and excess. Uh, so you would imagine that the demonstrations would have an impact. You would imagine that the president's incredibly earnest and heartfelt, anguished plea, I, you know, I think his hands were shaking with emotion uh, as he did that address last night. He is the most consensually supported president in Israeli history, chosen by the largest majority in the Knesset that a president ever achieved. He spoke for the heart of the nation. And you would imagine that cumulatively this would have an impact, but you would also never have imagined that these kinds of radical proposals would be conceived, uh, set forward, and and have now begun, what, what, what happens we will wait to see, but have now begun their, their journey through the legislature. Okay, we'll wait and see what happens over the course of the day. Thanks, David. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Judah will tell us about some of his thoughts and experiences, reactions to the earthquake in Turkey where he was last week. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times.
Okay, we're back. Judah, you're back from Turkey where you spent the bulk of last week, I believe, around Karan Manmaris, also known as Marash, reporting on the Israeli and local rescue teams working to retrieve survivors. You actually said in our Times of Israel editorial meeting yesterday that it was the worst thing you've ever seen. Following last Monday's earthquake, sort of a series of earthquakes, because there was an initial one in the pre-dawn hours of Monday morning, and it was followed by a number of aftershocks, some of them serious, some of them less so. I took off with a delegation from uh, the United Hatzalah Emergency Response Organization, um, also um, Israel and a few and a, a search and rescue team to the area. We flew into Gaziantep, which um, was sort of pretty well known beforehand for being this site of uh, an area on the Turkish-Syrian border that had absorbed a lot of Syrian refugees following the civil war next door. So this was already sort of, uh, you know, some of this area was not necessarily in the best shape going into things. So we landed in Gaziantep and then made the trip to Marash. And the whole first few days was just was just chaos um, and just complete breakdown just because of supply issues roads were severely damaged it was it was very hard getting buses and transportation there were power cuts uh, throughout the region there was no running water you know I had brought with me um, water purification tablets which in the end uh, I didn't even have uh, an ability to use because there was just no running water even to use it on so everything was done with with bottled water. That was just distributed sort of regularly throughout the area. And so we got to this uh, camp that had been set up for international delegations outside of um, Marash, where there was Israelis, there was also uh, Germans, British, Japanese, uh, French, I think Italian delegations as well. I'm sure that by now there's even a few more nationalities in that mix. And the Israeli search and rescue teams went into this city of Marash, which was one of the hardest hit cities. And parts of it, I mean, including the, the center of the city, which is where the Israeli teams were mostly working, was completely devastated. I mean, there's no, it was, you know, an entire neighborhood that was just completely wiped out. Every other building, at least, was completely collapsed. The ones that were standing were structurally unstable, so people not only couldn't be inside of them, but really couldn't get close to them. Even still, you'd have people sort of trying to go back into their apartments to get valuables um, and other things out, despite the risks uh, posed to it. And because of just the the huge number of buildings that collapsed and the the issues of getting rescue workers into the area because of these logistic problems. You just had small numbers of professional teams that were searching, especially for, for living people. And then you had local residents just with sort of whatever hand tools they could get their hands on searching through buildings themselves. It was like I like I said at our meeting. It was the the worst thing I've I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I spoke to one person who uh, lived in the area, who was uh, a 21 year old kid who was studying in university, who said, uh, you know, before this I'd never seen a dead body, and on the first day after the earthquake I saw my first one, and today I've lost count. You know, this was just widespread devastation. They're going to be having to bury people in in mass graves. I mean, right now the number of uh, of dead is you know above thirty thousand, and these are rough estimates because they still can't get a good sense in Turkey, which has a relatively functioning government. Of course, these this earthquake also affected Syria, which does not have a functioning government in any way, shape, or form. I don't think they're ever going to know how many people were killed um, in Syria. 
this is, you know, a, a global disaster and a global tragedy. What was it like in your conversations with the various Israeli delegations? I mean, we've read some of your pieces about it. Of course, you spoke with Hatzalah rescue organization doctors. You spoke with IDF officers who had actually been to this region before, who have also done other rescue missions. What were some of their reactions and thoughts? I mean, I think people weren't, they, they, they knew going into it that this was a disaster, you know, a disaster site. And both um, in my previous capacity as a military correspondent and sort of in, in the past, I've been to a number of uh, sort of IDF home front command drills where they where they practice this. And normally there's a disaster site, you know, there's a building that they're training on. And in this case, it was every building. And as a result, you know, as they're working and trying, you know, they can hear that there's somebody inside one building and they will be working for 12, 14, 24 hours just to reach sort of one person. In the meantime, during that whole period, there's people coming from neighboring buildings that are saying, hey, you know, can you come help us? You know, we think there's someone inside here and they have to say no. And I think for a lot of them, they all said that that was, you know, one of the most difficult things to do. Um, but they also know that if they try to help everyone, they're not going to help anyone. And so it's this um, incredibly difficult thing that they have to say no. Um, or people come and they say, we think someone's alive, but when they go and they check out the site and it's very clear to them that there's not necessarily going to be somebody inside, they again have to sort of say, no, we, you know, this is somebody who's no longer living. We're putting our efforts towards, you know, trying to find people who are still alive or trapped in these buildings. And so I think for a lot of them, that's, um, you know, they, they know that they're doing the right thing, you know, intellectually. They, they know that this is the right thing to do. But these are people who are experiencing the worst moments of their life that have lost, you know, family members that have just lost their homes entirely. And you have to say, no, I can't help you. Um, I think for a lot of them, that was... Um, you know, extremely, extremely difficult. Okay, thanks, Judah. Of course, we'll have links to your articles that were written last week. And finally, just a brief mention um, about something that took place yesterday. Also in your beat, a 35-year-old Jerusalemite woman stripped down to a bathing suit at the Western Wall on Sunday morning, protesting the contentious bill that would criminalize a modest dress at the Western Wall at the Kotel. What can you tell us about that, as this is also another subject that is uh, very much in the headlines right now? Yeah, so yesterday morning, a woman arrived in the women's section of the Western Wall. And, you know, clearly this was a, a very choreographed thing. She'd actually invited some members of the press along to document it. Um, sort of stripped down to a bathing suit. She was quickly detained by police um, and she was taken to a nearby station for questioning. Um, the the purpose of, you know, the reason for this protest was uh, a proposed bill that's, I mean, it's since been shelved, but it's, you know, it's not dead. It's just sort of on pause, at least in the meantime, um, that would not only criminalize um, immodest dress at the Western Wall, punishable uh, of a fine up to, I think, 10,000 shekel and imprisonment of up to six months, um, but also um, would make it illegal to um, perform prayer services that are not recognized by the chief rabbinate, which would include things like women wearing um, talitot or people um, organizing prayer services with uh, instruments without um, permission. 
And it would also um, basically end the ability of uh, women of the wall um, to hold their prayer services um, at the Western Wall. This was also something that people had warned about when the initial law came forward that, you know, trying to legislate morality um, and legislate proper behavior at the Western Wall um, is instead going to result in people doing the opposite and people moving away and people sort of uh, deliberately going against that because you're sort of backing them into a corner with this legislation. Um, So you can kind of see this as fulfilling those uh, prophecies that were put forward by a number of MKs, including former religious services minister Matan Kahana, who came out very strongly against this proposal. Right. Another moment in uh, what is a very intensive day. Obviously, we'll see, you can go to the Times of Israel site to see how everything is falling out or taking place today. In the meantime, thanks, Judah, and thanks, David, for being on The Daily Briefing. It was good to have you here. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, Jessica. Please follow all the news on our site. We'll be back tomorrow with another Daily Briefing. In the meantime, wishing everyone a good and peaceful day. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.